Proverbs chapter 7, uh, verses 10 down is where we are. For the sake of um, context, I'm just going to start at verse 6 and kind of read so that we can do a little bit of a review as we move into this and know where we are, especially if you're just joining us. But uh, chapter 7, verse 6, if you're there with me, say amen. amen. For at the window of my house, I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple... I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding passing along the street near her house. And he took the path to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the black of the dark night. And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning, let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey, has taken a bag of money with him, and he will come home at the appointed day with her enticing speech. Notice in verse 21, she calls him to yield with her flattering lips. She seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not, do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Father, we do thank you this morning, Lord God, for the text that you've put before us, Lord. We love your word. It is inspired by you, profitable for us. And so, therefore, Lord, we, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to it, remove all things that hinder and distract us, even distractions from the room, Lord God, that we would clearly hear from, from you, that we would hear each one of us, the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us, um, Lord, as you teach us your word, Lord God. And I ask, Lord, if there's possible that you would save a life and save a marriage in this room today, Lord. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so as we we're going to finish the chapter today. Um, and if you remember last time we were together and we saw this, particularly in verse 7, we saw this young man devoid of understanding. This young man is devoid of understanding because he doesn't have, as the Bible says, the word, the very commands and instructions of God from his word treasured and stored up in his heart. Remember from chapter 6, it says that it will literally keep you while you sleep and speak to you when you wake up. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. It's wonderful to even think about how powerful the word of God is to keep you, to speak to you, to guide you to lead you on the right paths and so he's devoid of understanding because he's either rejected it or he just hasn't 
been obedient to it. And remember chapter 6, verse 32 actually says, whoever commits adultery with the woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. It actually, adultery actually has something that it does to the very core of who you are that is destructive and it is um, deteriorating to who you are and people don't realize that. And of course, this is not just for the men in the room, but it's for the women in the room if you are tempted by a man or if you have same-sex issues in here and you're tempted by whatever the, 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 whatever the LGBT letter it is, basically, um, if it tempts you, this, is, this is word is for all of us today to hear this and understand it and be careful to stay close to it. Um, in chapter 9, wisdom speaks to us because, you know, the Bible says that, listen, it's a contrast. This woman is disobedient, we're going to see. And the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that, listen, that the, the prince of the power of the air, Satan, he works in the, the children of disobedience, okay? And in chapter 9, wisdom is the word of God personified. It's contrast. And this way it says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out seven pillars. That means that she's got pillars of stone. Her house ain't going anywhere. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed um, she has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. She has sent out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says, come eat my bread and drink of, my, of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness, notice, and live and go into the way of understanding. I had that for you on the screen. I heard pages, but that's in chapter 9. It's, it's being contrast. In other words, instead of turning into the strange woman, gentlemen, or the strange man, ladies, no, rather turn in to learn wisdom that you may live because according to this chapter, this young man is about to lose his life. It's amazing that the scripture paints such a, a, a potent uh, vision for us to be able to see here. And remember, if you remember, this man set himself up for moral, moral failure when we were together last week by three things. I don't want to spend too much time on them, but remember one, he placed himself constantly in the proximity of temptation in verse eight, because he was always passing along the street near her corner. He was looking to see when she was going to be out. Maybe he'll catch a glimpse of her, you know, and maybe I'll just look today. Maybe I won't actually go talk to her. I'll just look today, you know, um, but that's all I'll do maybe, you know. But because he's putting himself there, he doesn't know how quickly it can turn into more and be very destructive. This is what all of the things that you can dabble with can do. Um, you know, a lot of people, it's either pornography or it's the imagination of the mind. OK, remember, I shared with you one of the pastors who failed recently into sin. Um, two pastors I just learned about have fallen within an hour of here within the last month. One of them slipped into a life of uh, pornography. Remember the book I quoted to you, Finishing Strong, surveyed 246 men who were in full-time ministry who fell into sexual sin. So it's a real issue, and we're going we're gonna to get into that even more, but it's a very real issue. So for some, it's looking at things, and others, it's playing with things in your imagination. It's, it's safe. It's innocent. Nobody knows it's just my own little reality I've created because, you know, that way I don't have to actually do anything. And then people think that's actually safe. 
And what the, the problem is, and, and throughout the Bible, we begin to see and understand that. No, no, no. No, Satan will take what he can get. And he will slowly bring deterioration into your life. We'll see this as we go because the problem with sexual sin is just like drugs. You know, eventually your body builds a tolerance for drugs and you need stronger drugs um, to be able to experience the same gratification. Well, the same thing is with sexual uh, uh, perversions because what happens is it spirals into really bad stuff eventually. Okay, so so he's, he's, he's hanging out where he shouldn't be hanging out in the sense of being where this woman might show up. And remember, we quoted Romans 13, 14, where it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Y'all remember that? Yeah. So if we put Jesus on first, that helps us when when temptation comes, because the Lord is always trying to help you escape temptation. We know that we've learned that. And then remember, I said that I think that he ignored the warning signs because the next thing he did is he turned. Uh, he took the path to her house. I mean, if you, if you, if you make provision for the flesh, and eventually you're going to go all the way in and enjoy it. You're going to gratify your flesh and be in sin. And I believe he ignored the warnings because God is so faithful that he always provides a way of escape, the scripture says, so that we can bear the temptation that comes. Y'all remember we referenced 1 Corinthians chapter 10 there. So God is always doing that. This young man evidently ignored all of those warning signs. And then remember, number three, he was out at the most dangerous time of the day remember look back at verse 9 where it says in the twilight in the evening in the black and dark night in other words he's out at the time of day when all the bad stuff happens y'all know what I'm talking about right you probably remember what I'm talking about now we're home aren't we most of us are home if you catch me out I'm with my family um no no out late at night is where all the bad stuff happens everybody's out looking to get a drink and do something they shouldn't be doing you know, so if you're hanging out late at night, you might want to you might want to change that, you know, bring yourself into fellowship. We know fellowship is wonderful because we, people talk about accountability groups. And I, at the end of the day, it's basic fellowship because who you fellowship with, especially no, not who, when you fellowship within the body of Christ, you're naturally making yourself accountable to another person who cares for you, who's praying with you and for you, and, and, and you all are pouring into each, each other's lives. And when that person doesn't see you, they pick up the phone and call you. You ain't been to church in three weeks. You wasn't at discipleship or Bible study or whatever it is. What's going on? You're doing all right. Let's get together. When you're coming back and all that's going on, well, tell me what's going on. And then you confide and there's prayer. And it, it it's becomes this, this very healthy relationship as uh, we have the spirit of God in us. And he gifts us and we minister to one another those gifts. And so fellowship is basically what that is. Okay. Now, remember, this man who lacks understanding if you remember, as he was hanging out in this place near this woman's house, we met the woman in verse 10 as we ended last week. Y'all remember we met her in verse 10, and it said that she met him. And if you remember, I told you she, lack, she likes and thrives off of attention. She uses certain things as well to trip this man up. And one of the things is she had the attire of a harlot in, in verse 10. Y'all see that? How many of you were not here last week? That's a lot of you, so this is good review. So she had the attire of a harlot. Those who were here remember me telling you she was not necessarily a harlot. She wasn't a prostitute, but she had the attire of a prostitute. Not in a sleazy way, but in a nice way. Like a, in other words, she dressed in such a way that it would draw a man's attention. 
and she would have attention on her. In other words, she dressed very nice, but it was seductive. She was showing flesh. And maybe it wasn't like all out like a prostitute on the street, maybe. Maybe it was maybe just a little cleavage and a little too much leg or whatever it might be, okay? Or ladies, he, he only wears the shirts that cut where the right, they're designed to highlight the bicep to make it look bigger than it actually is, okay? They do that. Now, I told you, Pastor Jeffrey, he knows how to order those T-shirts sometimes. Sometimes he gets it right, sometimes he doesn't. You know, my wife told me flat out, there was one, um, it was from one, actually, this was a men's ministry T-shirt. It was the, uh, I forget what it was, it was the black one. She said, no, that one ain't out the house no more. So... <laughs> So now I only wear that one for her. And, uh, <laughs> no, no but, but there's this dress that happens that you know it draws the wrong attention. And so one of the things that we need to be careful as, as we go through this is we found out last week back up in verse 5 from the King James where it says in the King James it reads a little differently. It says um, back up in verse 5 that, that the word would keep you from this strange woman, the King James says, from the stranger that flatters with her words. And as we went through verse 5 last week, we determined that the strange woman, the word strange was the estranged woman. And then the stranger literally meant the foreign woman. And it, it kind of gave us two pictures of what this woman might be. Or it gave us an indication that she could be everywhere because the estranged woman could actually be a woman within the church, but she's just backslidden. She's not walking with the Lord or a man, ladies, who's in the church who is not walking with the Lord. He could be estranged, if you will, or it could be someone who's totally a non-believer, and which indicates to us as we look at this woman even more today. And ladies, as you apply it as a man, that this person can be anywhere. And so dressed in such a way to draw attention to herself. And this is something that ladies... Um, you know, you have to be careful with because by design, you desire to be beautiful and you want to be acknowledged as such. And that's an OK thing. And so what should happen, guys, because sometimes we could just be oblivious to stuff. We'll look at our wife and man, she looks good to us. But the problem is we fail to let that slip down and out through the vocal cords. We, it's not that we don't mean to tell our wife that she's beautiful. We just, you know, we just, I don't know what it is about us sometimes. It's just we're, we get distracted and we'll think it and it'll be there and it's working and we're looking and we're blessed by it, but we don't actually say it. And God, she's waiting for us to say something <laughs> um, because we can save uh, her a lot of frustration by just acknowledging. And I had to learn, like, I know I ain't seen that blouse before, but why wouldn't I say, hey, you have a new blouse? No, she's wearing her hair in a way I hadn't seen before or she hadn't done in a while. Why won't I just say it? Guys, I think if we would just practice saying it, hey, I like your hair. I, I like that new blouse you have right there. I, I like the way that fits. It. You're beautiful to me. You know, I mean, I you, want, you know, and just begin to say that more and more and more. Because what we need to learn, guys, as well as ladies, what you need to learn as we go through this is the fact that she is a strange woman, okay, she uses her strange woman technique to lure this man to his death. Okay? But you all are virtuous women. But you might need to take a few notes and borrow some things from the strange woman as it relates to you and your husband. Okay? Because her flattery gets her what she wants. And I'm just saying, 
that ladies, just like guys, we forget to say some things you ladies could actually, my wife's words are bigger than anything other than God's word. And what she says means more than what anybody else says. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, just think about that, you know. Um, So now as we continue. So she's dressed like a harlot and she's drawn his eyes. Um, And so we get into this a little bit more today as we now get ready to move down beyond verse 10. And we kind of see some unexpected witchcraft going on, in my opinion, um, as we go into this. Because notice it says she was loud and rebellious. Remember, that I told you last week that was part of her desire for attention. She thrives off of it. She wants all eyes on her. She's out to seek who she can devour, basically. And so she's loud and rebellious. But as we begin to go into this, this word rebellious, it literally means she's, it means just being stubborn. She's a stubborn woman. One of the examples we see in scripture and one of the places that the word stubborn is used is down in, in, in 1 Samuel. And I'm going to go there in a second. The King James says she's loud and stubborn, actually. And then the NIV says she's an unruly and defiant woman. And so this woman is stubborn and she wants to do it her way regardless well, there's a king named Saul who found himself being called the same thing. And Saul would not do it God's way, and he wouldn't listen even to the counsel he was receiving from Samuel. And so in 1 Samuel um, chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, it says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings as sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Um, and he says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. And it's very interesting that that verse, as he's talking to Saul now after Saul has been rebellious, and he says, listen, there's one thing that God cares about more than all of the church stuff you do, and all of the scriptures you quote, and all of your religious antics. What God desires more than anything is for you to be able to hear his voice in the instruction of his word and be obedient to it. And so this is, this is the thing Samuel was pleading with Saul about. God just wants you to be obedient to his instruction, Saul. And this is important because in a few minutes we're going to see that this strange woman, listen, she is definitely a church-going woman. Okay, so it's important for us to be able to consider that. He goes on to say for rebellion, check it out on the screen, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as, the, is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And so Saul lost his position at king, as king. But as you read later, you find that Saul even loses his life. So Samuel ties rebellion and witchcraft, ladies and gentlemen, together. Hard for us to fathom that. This stubbornness and witchcraft go hand in hand because witchcraft is those who literally are worshiping Satan and dabbling in his things and have rejected the word of God and all the, that God has done to draw them back. And it's a, a slippery slope. In fact, I believe that rebellion leads you down a slippery slope. slope. Even your stubbornness can lead you further and further away from God. It opens you up to additional things. It allows the kingdom of darkness to have more influence in your life. In fact, the scripture seems to tie sexual immorality and rebellion and stubbornness together. 
In fact, in 2 Kings, there was a weak king named Ahab, and he had a wife named Jezebel. And so it takes an Ahab, as I've always told you, to make a Jezebel. And Jezebel always thrives under the leadership of an Ahab. I hate to go there, but that's a, a side note. In other words, a weak man who won't lead according to the word of God, it, he creates a Jezebel, and she thrives in that environment sometimes. So look, okay, so in this, the kings are riding, and they, say, they see Jehu going. It's in 2 Kings chapter 9. Go read it in your own time. And so they're going out to meet him, and, and, and they say, is it peace? And he answers, and I just want to get this little part of it. What peace, Jehu says, as long as the hollow trees of your mother Jezebel and her witchcraft are so many. You see, Jezebel's holotry was that, that she was, if you will, leading God's people away from the worship of the one true God and into worshiping other idol gods. And in the process of doing so, those worships included sexual immorality and illicit drug use. And so, listen, in other words, she was being used by Satan in her rebellious ways, it was witchcraft because she was leading God's people into false worship, sexual immorality, and it was being made to seem normal and okay. You see, Satan is doing the same thing today through politicians, changing of policies, and leaders within the church are either apostates, some of them, or unbelievers themselves because they are among us and they are giving themselves over to it. How many pastors have come out as being gay and justifying it from scripture? I mean, I don't know if you've seen that stuff, but I've been seeing that stuff on, on, online. And so now, hey, Satan's got politicians saying, listen, we need to get this stuff in the school system. We need to promote LGBTQ. It, it, these kids need to be free to do whatever it is they want. And parents need to stop getting in the way of that. Um, and, and all of this stuff, and now even re being written into some of the uh, things that have gone out from our governor to the um, to social workers, that there's this new thing, and I forget, I didn't have it in my notes, what it's called, but there's this thing where it's actually becoming illegal to try to counsel a child uh, away from the gender that they think they want. You know, so in California, it's kind of like conversion therapy, but here, it's if, if, if like, if I counsel a child in that scenario, and that child is a boy who now wants to be a girl, and I begin to counsel according to the word of God that, no, you were made this way. This is what God has you to be. You're going to thrive as what God designed you. That can eventually become something that they could use against it. So this is where it's going. Like, everything is being shifted towards this thing. In fact, the book of Revelation says to us that the world will be judged based on these things. In chapter 9, verse 21, it says, and they did not. This is in the midst of judgment coming against the world. They still, with all the judgments they saw. Now, remember, y'all were with us through, how many of you were with us through the book of Revelation? Okay, they've seen stuff come out of the bottomless pit and stuff falling out the sky and the earth is shaking, right? And it says, and they still, well, let me read it from this word. It says, they did not repent of their murderers, their sorceries, which is the word pharmacia, drug use, or their sexual immorality or their thefts. All of these things they continue to practice even in that because what happens is the longer you rebel against God, the longer you walk away from him, the further you drift away. You see, many of the wealthy and elite people within our society, they are idle, um, you know, as well. And, 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 you know, they practice witchcraft. And much of it, like all satanic practices and rituals, involve the use of a virgin 
which requires either rape or drug-induced states which allow them to perform their acts. And, you know, it's almost like, man, can you believe? Yeah, but it's happening. It's being exposed. In fact, um, today being October 31st, many children who have been abducted around the world will be uh, used in satanic rituals, which will be uh, the, uh, and, and they, many of them will be murdered, blood, uh, blood being shed and them being used for sexual immorality. And it seems like they prefer boys a lot of times because it's so twisted and perverted because that's Satan. That's Satan. He desires to destroy. And see, you're like, well, Pastor Kevin, what's that got to do with us? Well, because dabbling these things, dabbling these things can lead to complete destruction. And if you're dabbling this morning, God is trying to, through the wisdom of his word, he's crying out to you to come back to him. Now, as we go on, we're going to see some things about this woman. And we're going to begin to see how this woman begins to even entrap this man. One of the things we see right off the bat, as I said, she's rebellious. And then the second we begin to see is that she's also a busybody. Let's look at her in verse 11. She's discontent and she's a busybody. Verse 11 says, she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. And verse 12 says, at times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. She was lurking at every corner. Isn't that something? Lurking. She's discontent and she's a busybody at heart, which makes her dangerous. And there's something that the Bible says as we go through it um, about not being idle, not being a busybody. Um, as believers, because we're talking, you know, Solomon's talking to his children. And I'm talking to God's children. I'm, I'm talking to believers. And if you're a non-believer in the room, I, I pray that you would, it, the Holy Spirit would speak to you. But as believers, we've been called to be stewards over everything. We've learned about stewardship over money in the book of Proverbs so far, right, y'all? But there's stewardship over our time within our lives as well. Because, you know, if we become idle and become busybodies, we set ourselves up for all kinds of things to be used even of the enemy and manipulated by him and even in ways that can destroy other people's lives. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and Paul wrote to this church and told them previously that, hey, the plan of God is that he's coming for again. I don't want you to be ignorant. The trump is going to sound. The Lord is going to descend. We're going to get out of here, okay? He talked them all about the end times in First and Second Thessalonians. So now he has to come right back to them and say, yeah, but until then, don't be idle. Verses 10 through 12 of chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians, it says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And everybody say amen. amen. <laughs> uh, well, it depends on who you got uh, running the government. Verse 11 says, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. How are they disorderly? Well, it says, not working at all. Well, why would it be disorderly not to work? Well, because God is a worker. He's busy. For six days, the Bible says he handled his business. And then he, he took the seventh day to, to rest and to set an example because there's time for rest. There's a time under heaven for everything, right? Right? But God has given, we've been made in his image. When we, when we are workers, we make the world better. Why? Because we are believers. We're doing our work to honor him. Therefore, our work is going to be the best work on the planet. 
And so it's disorderly for a believer not to do some type of work. Even retired people around here be trying to find out how they can do something. You know, I mean, listen, they will put you to shame. They will show up and clean the church and water plants and stuff. And, and some days they just show up, you know, and, um, and look for stuff to do. So he says disorderly, not working at all, but are what? Because when you're idle, you've got to find something to do. <laughs> so you become a busybody, meaning you, you in other people's business now. Verse 12. Now, those who are such, he says, we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. In other words, be busy so that you are, you know, being orderly, bringing glory and honor to God. Don't be idle. Don't allow yourself to become busybodies. In fact, when Paul was instructing Timothy about taking care of widows in the church, he says, but not the young ladies. Because you know they're going to have a, de, a desire to, to be married again. But he says, and, and bis, in uh, 1 Timothy 5.13 on the screen, it says, And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. In other words, the Bible has called us as believers to be seeking the Lord and worshiping the Lord and honoring the Lord and finding a way to be busy in everything that we do. This is a side note. I don't even know why it came to me. Um, Martin Luther King gets quoted a lot, a lot of his speeches. I have a dream. I've been to the mountaintop. We hear a lot of stuff. There's this one obscure one that most people have never heard. He was in Philadelphia in a school and they asked him to speak at this school. And he spoke and he said to the people, the kids, he said, whatever you do whatever God gives you. You be the best at it that you can potentially be. He said, they don't, I don't care if you sweep, if you become a, sweet, a street sweeper. He said, they should be so clean you could eat off of them. Why? Because anything we do, we need to do it to the best of our ability because that's how we bring honor to God, right? You know, and so we begin to think about these things. God has not called us to be idle. God has not called us to be busybodies. In fact, when we look at the woman that's going to be portrayed to us in chapter 31, she's a virtuous woman. She's totally different from this woman. This woman is enticing and flattering and showing cleavage and stuff. In Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord she shall be praised. In other words, she's always going to find honor because her, she lives in such a way that she's, she's reverencing who God is and who he is to her in her life. And then not only that, because of all of that, in verses 10 through 12 of the same chapter, it says, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband, check this out, safely trusts her. This dude's on a business trip and his wife is lurking around the streets. But the virtuous woman her husband trusts in her, so he will have no lack of gain. Why? Because he can trust in his wife. She's a partner. She's in this thing with him. She's contributing. She, it says here, she, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know why? Because she's virtuous and she's busy and she's about the things of God. She ain't got time to be in everybody else's house unless there's a need and her gifts that God has given her can then go and add to that other home where she can instruct and encourage that other wife. Maybe she's struggling with some things. Maybe she's a new wife or new mom. And so this Titus 2 woman comes aside and says, hey, let me pour in and show you how to do some things for a little while. But look, I got to get back home to my own husband now because I need to be a blessing to him. And this is the difference. This is what we begin to see, you know. Now, not only that, we find that she's shameless. 
verse 13. Look at it with me. Verse 13 says, So she caught him and kissed him. With an impudent face, she said to him, and she's going to begin to say some things in a minute. We'll come back to it. So she caught him and she kissed him. That implies that she overpowers him, basically. She grabs hold of him. She's captured him. He's been ensnared by her, first of all, because he was fooling around there by her street. He thought he was just going to get a glance. No, no, because when that, remember, the eye contact we saw in chapter 6, remember that? With the eyelids, the little eye contact, and bam, he's in trouble now. He's like a deer in headlights. If he don't run... Now, he's fooling around here trying to get another glimpse, and she's caught him now. And with the impudent face, she speaks with him. Now, that impudent face, it literally, it, it means a shameless face, or I like to say this way, a face of filled with pride and lacking conviction. You see, she's so far away from the Lord now, she, she don't even have any conviction. Ladies, that strange man... He has no conviction at all. He doesn't care about your life or your husband. Um, and, 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 and gentlemen, that strange woman, she doesn't care about your wife, your home, what God is trying to do. She doesn't care at all. And she doesn't care about you. Single men, she doesn't care. She's not like the women at your church. She doesn't dress like them. She doesn't act like them. She's, she's, she's drawing you in. She's, gonna, she's offering you these things. She doesn't care. She has no conviction. No, not at all. It may appear that she does, but it's all, it's all fake. Okay? And so not only is she shameless, as we begin to go into this now, we're going to look at how she picks him apart. Notice in verse 21, she hides under the cloak. I'm sorry, verse 14 we're going to go to in a minute. Verse 21 talks about through her enticing speech and her flattery she's going to seduce him so verse 14 we go into how she picks him apart and the first thing we learn is that she hides under the cloak of godliness look at verse 14 with me it says i have peace offerings with me today i have paid my vows how would we put that in modern 2021 terms well she's basically saying look i've gone to church today I've worshiped the Lord. I'm right with the Lord. And, you know, and, uh, you know, I just, I just wish my husband, you know, would be the same way and all. And, you know, he doesn't understand, you know. And, but I've, 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 I've been spending time. I've been praying about this situation, you know, and my, my husband, you know, like all this stuff, you know, all that, all, that, all that spiritual talk, you know. And she's appealing to his natural, you know, as men, we love a good meal, right? Well, notice that. She says, I have peace offerings with me. Well, why does that matter? What is the peace offering? Well, remember, differently than the sin offering or even the burnt offering, which would be consumed on the fire, the peace offering was that joyous offering where you would bring and make the offering. But also what would happen is that the priest would share in it, but the offerer, the worshiper, would get the best part. And it's required that the peace offering itself be the best of everything. If you go back and read it in Leviticus, it's the best stuff that's being offered. You know, and it's seasoned well with salt. And it's, it's, it's supposed to be really nice because it speaks of peace and joyous relationship with the Lord. 
Lord, okay? So that means that the, the worshiper would take the peace offering, a large portion of it, back home, and often they would enjoy it with their family and neighbors or friends or people they fellowship with because it's, it's meant to be a joyous offering. So what she's saying is, man, I got a feast back at the house, and I'm good with the Lord. I've been praying about this thing, and I'm at peace now. You know, people like to use their spiritual language. Yeah, well, you know, my husband doesn't understand. But, you know, at this point, I can't do nothing about it. I'm at peace with the Lord. And so she's got him thinking, man, you know, this, this is maybe this woman does love the Lord. And she's been, she's drawing him in and kind of now putting him at ease a little bit with her spiritual talk. You know, uh, let me speak to the single people for a minute. But you have to test people that you meet and they appear to be spiritual or in the Lord, you know, because everybody says that. I mean, look, where we live, back when we first got to Clayton and we used to evangelize, everybody thought they were saved. <laughs> you couldn't find a person on the street that didn't think they were saved because they went to somebody's church or my grandma, yada, 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 and all, like, all these stories. I was baptized when I was, you know, six months or whatever it was and, you know, um, been to church like every year for Easter since then. And, and, and so everybody thought they were saved. And when you meet um, a single person, it's very interesting if you're so saved and you love the Lord so much, then how come now that we're dating you ain't going to church? Or how come you just come to church with me all the time, ladies, if he's so uh, spiritual and saved? Why doesn't he have a church family like you do? Well, I've told you this before, where, where, where you can go visit his church with him and people know him. You know, he ain't being treated like a visitor. Where you go to church? Well, I go to church down there, such and such and such. Oh, I'll go with you. And you go, and they welcome him like you don't, they don't know him. That's flag number one. <laughs> cut, cut, cut him loose. He's lying to you. Um, so then ladies say, well, where, what, do you, what do you do at your church? Well, what do you mean what I do? I go there. <laughs> oh, do you, what small group do you go to? Well, we don't have time for that. Well, flag number two. He's not in fellowship. Cut him loose. Um, then, okay, you do fellowship? Well, great. Well, where do you serve? Well, I really hadn't found threats, so cut him loose. He doesn't serve the Lord, okay? You know, so these are all red flags, you know, and, and stuff like that, and then vice versa. We got we to gotta know and understand because, ladies, and you're going to give yourself to a man who doesn't go to church? You know, and then you got to check out his church to make sure that if you marry this guy, you're going to be comfortable going to this church, that, that church that your new husband will go to because he's the head of your house. And if, listen, if he marries you and leaves his church to come to your church, that's a problem to me. Well, why are you leaving your church? But they don't teach the word. Then why are you there to begin with? There's all these red flags that you have to look through. And what happens is the, the, um, there's so many things that can entice us. We're running out of time. So it says here... Um, and I'm going to skip some stuff that I don't have time to cover. So she hides under this. One of the things, listen, I got to cover this part. Paul warns us about the last days. Paul says, listen, this is going to be rampant in the last days where it's going to be so weird. But he says that in the, in the last days, perilous times will come. You know, people will love themselves more than God and love pleasure and all this kind of stuff. And they will be, they will be betrayers of one another and all this kind of stuff. And then he says in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, when you get to the fifth verse, he says they'll have a form of godliness but denying its power. He says from such turn away. You catch that? Well, look, what's having a form of godliness but denying the power? Well, having a form of godliness is a person who appears to be very spiritual and they go to church, but they live any kind of way they want because they don't believe, or at least the way they live, they imply that they don't believe in the power of God to transform their lives. 
Because remember, we talked about this. When you get saved, Christianity d- demands that there be a change, fruit worthy of repentance, um, in Christ, a new creation, must be born again, all this stuff. So we know these things. So they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Now, then Paul does something else. Y'all bear with me. Will y'all give me five minutes? Okay. Um, Paul says, for of this sort are those who, and remember, he's talking about the last days. He says, of this sort are those who crept into households and make captive of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. Um, He's not putting women down as though women are just gullible in general. That's not the picture that he's given. Of course, God made man and woman equally intellectual and all of that. We understand that. Um, But there is this tendency, and we need to be careful. Ladies, you see that in Eve, this tendency to have curiosity. And and one of the things, and ladies, this is a good thing, but you got to watch it. You all are designed or attracted to spiritual things and definitely spiritual leadership. Eve, when she saw the fruit would make her wise and like God, she went right for it. She desired more understanding, more knowledge. And, and so we need to be careful with these things. And so he does say, and I'll come back to that in a moment. He says, always learning, never able to come into the knowledge of the truth. He says, now check this out. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, how many of you know who those two, two dudes are? That's a few more in this service. Okay. He says in verse eight, now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further for their folly will be made, will be manifest to all as theirs was also. What is he talking about? Well, Janus and Jamries, they resisted Moses, but the way it happened, I believe, is a picture of what the last days will be like. Now, you got to remember the scene. Moses is sent by God to Pharaoh. God says, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then here's a sign so they'll know I sent you. So Moses strolls up in the palace and says, look, God says, let my people go. And by the way, this is the sign that he sent me. So Moses takes his staff, remember the prince of Egypt, and it becomes a snake. Okay. All right. Now, that's amazing. But what happened is Janus and Jambres, which were the, the priest the ministers of the false religions of Egypt, they put their sticks down and under the power of Satan, the prince of the power of the air, and through all of his media hype, they duplicated, or at least it appeared that they duplicated the miracle. And so everybody saw their sticks turned into snakes and everybody was like, ah, Moses doesn't know what he's talking about. And so in all of the demonic hype, check it out, they missed the reality. Well, what was the reality? Well, if they had been paying attention closely, watching what God had sent, the, the example he had sent in Moses' staff, they would have seen Moses' snake eat the other snakes. Y'all remember reading that? Yeah, snakes plural because many of these guys laid their sticks down. But they missed all of that. It was, if you will, a deceptive environment where if people weren't paying attention to what God was saying, they would be easily deceived. That's a picture of what the last days will be like. Deception will be growing and growing and growing and growing until finally, because people refuse to receive the love of Christ, Thessalonians chapter, the second Thessalonians two, God will then give them over to a great delusion. And we should be getting out of here about that time. Um, but anyway, that's where all of this is headed. And so how did we get there? Because she hid under the cloak of godliness. Now, let's continue really quick. I'm going I'm I'm to roll through this. So she also made it all about him. And this is a dangerous thing because we like to hear about ourselves. 
So verse 15, it says that, so I came out, she says to him, I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face, and I found you. In other words, you know, I'm so glad. I've been waiting and longing to see you, and I've been looking for you, and I'm so glad I found you because, you know, my husband doesn't understand me, and you seem to, and every time I'm with you, it's so great. I just, I, you know, I know that I, it's not right, but I've been praying about it. I'm, I have my peace with the Lord, and it's so happy to see you. That's a lie. Remember, she was lurking at every street corner. She was looking for whoever she could catch. But now she's got him convinced it's all about him. It's like, man, this woman really, she really cares about me. And she appeals to this danger, young single men, that we have. See, the problem with us men is we think we're supposed to be the savior of the woman who's in need, the damsel in distress. And when we see her, it's our job to rescue her. And Satan can use that often to get us trapped in something we got no business. I don't, you know, I don't do that anymore. Um, you know, no offense when, um, you know, anyway, I don't, I don't have time to go there. So, uh, but I can, yes, I did say five minutes. All right. That's my, that's my aunt. It's my aunt. You know, you got to respect your elders. All right. <laughs> All right. So, all right. <laughs> oh. So she made it all about him, you know, made it all about him. You be careful with that. You know, one of the things, too, when, when somebody makes it all about you, single people, when it should be all about Jesus, they're already on the wrong track. You know, if they're so into you that they ain't spending time with Jesus, then you need to leave them alone anyway. So the next thing she does is she sets an enticing scene. Verse 16 and 17, it says... I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen, and I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. And she sets this scene really, really nice. It's hard for us to kind of get it. But, um, you know, most scholars who've researched the times, the, the, the tapestry, especially the Egyptian linen, would often be embroidered with all types of design. It was very beautiful. The Egyptian stuff would be embroidered all, uh, often with scenes. Sometimes they were, these were pornographic scenes, the image of, of a nude woman or, or the sexual acts going on. And so she's got this going on. She's got a little bit of that uh, happening. She's already told him, I got plenty of food back at the house. I've got the good stuff laid out. The scene is set. Um, and all of this kind of stuff. And then she says uh, in verse 17, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. This would have been all the fragrances that you wouldn't get all the time. And so this scene is set. She's saying to him, um, listen, my house is decked out. It's the twilight. I've got the candles going and the aroma stuff happening. I got the good images laid out all around the room. I mean, I'm, I've got everything ready for you. It's a feast laid out. You, you, I, I was been, I've been preparing for you is what she's saying. And what he needs to pay attention to is one of the spices is myrrh, which is the burial spice, because he's on his way to his death. And then on top of that, listen, she offers him something that she cannot give him. Verse 18, come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. In other words, she's offering him love. And the problem with that is that's the furthest thing from what she's able to give him. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 13 says about love, it does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. Y'all remember that, right? Love suffers long, is not rude, is not boastful, all that stuff. But it also does not rejoice in iniquity, but it actually rejoices in truth. So therefore, she can't offer him love because she's in sin. She can't give him what true love is. You see, true love, godly love, is a love that wants the best for the other person, even when that person doesn't realize it. Even when that person is not responding, it's a love that I, you know, this is why when we talk about love and marriage counseling, love is a decision that you make to love the other person regardless of how they're responding. OK, so in, in fact, if she loved him, she would say, look, I'm glad you caught I'm, 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 I, I hate you caught me out here in the street, but you need to go home. We don't we don't need to see each other. Like if she was tempted by him, but she actually loved, had love for him, she would send him away. You know, we don't need, you know, we, we about to get into the wrong stuff. You follow what I'm saying? She has no ability to offer love. They can call it love all day long, but it ain't nothing but lust and sin and destruction. Now, last thing here, she removes his concern from him of all danger in verses 19 and 20. Notice it says, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. And will come home at the appointed day. Now, the appointed day, if you read in one of the other versions, it literally says at the new moon. In other words, he's going to be gone for a month. So what is she saying to him? Look, my husband's going on a business trip. He took a bag of money. So you know he ain't coming back soon. If he was just going for an overnight trip, it wouldn't be that much money, first of all. You know, so he's gone. He's away. You have nothing to worry about. We can spend days together. This, and, and I'm at peace with the Lord. I mean, this is, this is such a blessing because he's, he doesn't know. He's, he neglects me and yada, 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 and all this kind of stuff. So she's, she's methodically gone through this process. Verse 21 says, with her enticing speech, she calls him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. And she was able to seduce him because he was fooling around there on the street near her house. And that's where it all begins. And I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Now, here's what we need to gather now as we bring this in for a close. Verses 20 through, 22 through 27 gives us two images here. One of probably what Solomon had observed from the palace with the young man. The other, the Lord speaking, which I believe is for all of us, definitely. Notice verse 22. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. And as a fool to the correction of the stocks, you know, what's, what's the ox to the slaughter like? What's the image? Most of you, if you never worked in that environment, you've never seen it. Um, the interesting thing, you know, there's a uh, Pritchett Road over here, Fred Smith Company. They have this um, beef farm. You know, they sell beef. How many of you have seen that sign out there? Oh, they're good, yeah. And so you see the cows out there, and they're healthy-looking, good-looking cows, beautiful pasture. I mean, it's amazing, okay? And so when they lead these cows to the slaughter, they go with the farmer. They don't know any better. They think they're going to get maybe he's leading them to a better pasture now, you know. So they just he just grabs them and leads them all, you know. And the other cows, when he comes for them, they don't know any better. They don't know old cousin Charlie that went up there to the barn last month and never came back. <laughs> maybe maybe there's greener pastures on the other side of the hill that I can't see. That's where Charlie's at. It's cow heaven. So they just go with the farmer like little, you know, because they don't know any better is what he's saying. And then he says, uh, or as a foul to the, uh, a fool, excuse me, I don't know why I keep saying that, a fool to the correction of the stocks. In other words, some fool who's committed wrong and now is going to be in the, in the bound up in a prison. Notice, to an arrow struck his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, 
he did not know that it would cost his life. This man is struck by an arrow in his liver, which means one of two things. Either he was killed by her husband or maybe her father. Or it speaks of the liver because, you know, you don't see the liver being mentioned much in the scripture. Maybe it speaks of something that happens in his inward parts where his organs are like a venereal disease. That's a possibility. There's a lot of that. Um, people don't talk about it as much as they used to, but venereal diseases are, have grown and, and, and are getting stronger again. Um, when I was coming up, you know, they, they were always talking about the uh, gondorias and syphilis and chl chlamydias and um, there are others as well that people would get from fooling around and having, having um, you know, sex outside of marriage, basically. Um, and unfortunately, spouses who get these things because somebody's been outside the marriage, you know. But you would not believe how many people are actually living with HIV today. Now, when HIV first came out, we called it the goodbye because, you know, you got it. You was you was done. <laughs> then they came out with medicines. And now but if you're wealthy, you can get the good medicines. If you're not, you get not so good medicines. And what happens is a lot of people are living with it and deteriorating within their bodies. So many people have HIV today. You should not play around outside your marriage. So it could be something like that. We just don't know. It's speculation. So verse 24. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let her, gentlemen. Do not let him, ladies. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways or his ways. Do not stray into her path, gentlemen, or his path, ladies. For she has noticed cast down. And this is where it turns. She has cast down many wounded, meaning everybody who she's cast down is now wounded, you know, um, and all who were slain by her, because we have to finish, were strong men. Um, and then it says, her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. So the image, in my opinion, seems to become supernatural. It's almost now as though the Lord is saying, you know, I've watched this thing through the millennia. And it's always the same story because it's not about just this woman. It's about the work that Satan does through people who allow themselves to be the children of disobedience who he can manipulate and work through. And so she's cast down many wounded, but notice, and all who were slain by her were what kind of men? That means that they were God's men. They were men who were walking with the Lord. Okay? That, that 240-something Full-time ministers within 24 months. The book I'm um, finishing strong is what it's called. They all fell into sexual sin. And they all fell into sexual sin. The majority of them, over 80%, it's confirmed at least with women within the church. So these aren't in the street. They're falling into sexual sin with more so with women in the church than women outside the church. So Satan has had his way and he's cast down strong men, not weak men, but men who intended to be walking with the Lord. And that's why it's something you can't play with. That's why how we conduct ourselves here um, at the church, as I've shared with you, is different. And I think the church as a whole needs to change its practices about how men and women operate within ministry and how um, men shouldn't be counseling women and women shouldn't be counseling men. It, the same thing applies, right? Which all implies that men should, there should be male leaders in the church and then strong women's ministries within the church. Does that make sense? In order for it to be done the way that is healthy. 
But we've got to close here in verse 27. So our house is the way to hell. Hell, not in the sense that you will lose your salvation, but what you'll go through will be like hell because of the consequences if you don't turn to the Lord. So descending to the chambers of death. So here's how we close with everybody. Just kind of bow your head now and listen to me. Please don't pack up. Just listen. As you bow your head, just listen. See, at this moment, you need to consider those in the room that may be dabbling with some things. And maybe you think you're safe because it's just in your mind. And look, the bottom line is you're going through something or I don't know what it might be. And you're having in your mind, you got You've created this whole fantasy, this whole you know, affair thing you're dealing with. Or maybe, maybe it's someone who's not your spouse and you're thinking on them and it's a dangerous thing and you may think you're safe because nobody knows and you're not actually doing anything physically. The Lord knows and what the Lord knows is that if you keep playing with that, then what it does is it creates, it, 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 it gives you a desire for more and when the opportunity comes, you might actually, without you realizing that you could fall that far, dabble in something that you shouldn't or maybe it's someone that you're looking at things that you shouldn't it's it's pornography or something like that or whatever it may be Um, or you know it's somebody you work with it doesn't matter there's something going on and you're close and the Lord has convicted you in your heart you don't have to raise your hand you don't have to nod you don't have to open your eyes this is just for you privately with the Lord that your prayer should be Lord you see my heart you see this thing and I don't want to fall I don't want to go to destruction Lord God save me from this Lord God wash my mind cleanse me you say in your word that we should cast down thoughts and imaginations that that exalt themselves against the knowledge of who you are and bring our thoughts into captivity Lord give me the power to bring my thoughts into captivity so that I can destroy these imaginations that are wrong and Lord and fill my heart and mind with your word. Uh, Lord, lead me into times of worship and times of reading and meditating because your word says that he who meditates on the, on the word day and night should be like a tree established and nourished with living water. And so, Lord, make me that person instead. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil and establish me, Lord. Draw me close to you. That can be your prayer. And the same prayer, no matter which one of those things I mentioned earlier you're dabbling in, And if you do that, then God will protect you because he's faithful. He says that whatever you ask in in my name or according to my will, you'll have it. That is according to his will, that you walk with him and abstain from sexual immorality. That prayer is in the will of God. And so, therefore, he will hear you and he's guaranteed to help you. If you truly in your heart have prayed that prayer and you're submitting to him right now, And then I pray, Father, that you just saved a marriage or a relationship in this room, Lord God. We love you. We thank you. You're so faithful. We honor you today. And thank you for giving us the opportunity to be here, Lord. Be with us now as we leave and wherever it is that you lead us throughout this week until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and, and sing.